Whether you're an independent artist or a fan that loves them, makingascene.org is the place for you. For the music fan, we bring you in-depth interviews and CD reviews from artists who are on the cutting edge of original music. For the independent artist, we bring you articles on music business, recording techniques, gear reviews, and interviews with industry professionals that give you real-world information to help you negotiate the new realities in the music industry and give you the tools you need to move your career to the next level. We bring you new content every day. Makingascene.org is the number one resource for the independent artists and the fans that love them. Head on over and become part of the Indie Revolution. And now, here's an indie blues double shot from our featured artist today, the Claudettes. And stay tuned for that interview. It comes up right after these songs. He's not licked yet 
from their brand new release and we got johnny iguana on the line right now hey johnny how you been hey good great good to talk to you again good to talk to you as well now you know you've been on the show before but we always like to give our fans an opportunity to really kind of get to know an artist and the best way to do that is through your journey and um so give us the story of the claudettes and of course of johnny iguana well uh when I was a teenager, I started, you know, being in bands after playing piano a lot at, in my home, and uh, 
right from the beginning, I, I, I found myself in a blues band on, on one hand and then in kind of a punk or rock band on the other hand, and they were always kind of, I always kept them separate, and I always enjoyed that. And I've always sort of done that. And so, so when I was in my early 20s, I had the good fortune of meeting Junior Wells, who was a big hero of mine. We played a lot of his songs in our blues band in Philadelphia, and um, I, I, I met him at the right time when he needed a piano player and got a chance to try out and join the band. And so um, I, I got to tour with him for some years and with Otis Rush and playing a lot of great blues records. And I'm still recording and playing a lot with blues, but I, I, I still love uh, punk and rock and, and the classical that I grew up playing. And so everything I just said sort of coalesces into the Claudette sound, which is the first time I sort of broke down that wall and, and just tried to express my my myself and my influences all in one package and uh it it started off kind of bluesier than it became but there's still always going to be kind of blues and jazz and rock and roll and some 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 classical elements in it because um, that's that's me and i i don't really have any ambition or, or or in particular any ability to write something kind of on spec you know to write you know for some other reason other than it's just what i love and so that's kind of what the Claudettes is. It's a, I, I came up with the term a couple of years ago, garage cabaret for the band. I think it's kind of, it's with our singer, it's got kind of a silky, smooth, jazzy soul cabaret thing, but it's, it's kind of punk rock at heart. Okay. Now, um, you're also known as a songwriter as well as a musician. And, you know, I'm always curious when you sit down to begin that process of writing, what's kind of your way of getting things going i mean uh, half the time i i keep a journal of just uh kind of twisting a, a, a phrase on its head or some kind of i'll be listening to the radio and something will occur to me just a thought or a, a you know a twist on an idea and i'll write it down and just have a bunch of words in a book and uh and and then sometimes they kind of they kind of journey to a, a phrase a rhythmic phrase and then sit down at the piano and kind of surround it with music and other times i'll, I'll just make recordings with my phone or whatever device of just uh, musical ideas and then get a sense of what it sort of sounds like it, that those notes and that music and those rhythms are trying to say. And so I kind of have two different methods and, and across a particular album, it might be about 50, 50, you know, one or the other. My dad gave me a really great book called songwriters on songwriting. And it was really interesting how different great songwriters we all love have their different methods. And some of them sit down with a cup of coffee every morning at nine in the morning or eight in the morning. And other people just, uh, it's just kind of like some sort of beast they're trying to tame across their whole lives. And it just comes and goes and they don't seem to have any kind of, you know, um, regimen. And, and, uh, so that was interesting to read how, how it really varies for, for different songwriters, the, the, the inspiration for it all. Right, right. Now, you know, I'm always curious about melody. Um, you know, lyrics I find to be a craft. The more you do it, the, the better you get at it. And, of course, it has its its structural elements like, you know, story, continuity, meter, rhyme. But melody is a little different. Some songwriters like to work off just a, a groove and allow it to free form out. Others like to take the lyric and find the cadence within it and find the melody there. What is kind of your go-to when you start looking for melodies? 
I do think that's really important to, to focus on because uh, I hear so much music that's really lauded that comes out, and I, I'll go, I'll say to myself, man, the production is great. Everyone sounds good. The, the musicianship is, is uh, exemplary, but there's really no melody here. There's like they need a melodist, you know. I mean, the, the great songs that we all love from the past, you know, by and large, you know, some of them have a hook that's really more rooted in rhythm, but but um, the great melodies you know, have a lot of chromaticism in them. And I'm lucky that in the Claudettes for the last six years, we've had Barrett Alseth singing because she, she just makes kind of difficult chromatic feats just seem simple uh, and easy because she, she's, an, she's an educated singer who went to the new school for jazz vocal instruction, but, but she's really kind of a country singer at heart. So she's got that sort of country soul, but, but that jazz school technique and it gives me, um, I, I think about it all the time. That Actually, I have, I have a son who's going to be 15, and he's taking some music lessons, and he, some of which were vocal lessons, and he was just telling me how difficult some of these songs are to sing, and you would never know it until you try, you know, until you try a song on for size. But um, it's just really special, and uh, I'm really lucky to have someone like Barrett who has such a welcoming, warm tone, but also I can come up with a, a melodic idea on the piano that's, uh, hmm, that's, that's, it's, it, I really won't rest until I find a, a melody I think is arresting, um, and uh, and and it's it's uh, my favorite part of the whole process is having her over the house, and and playing the demo and and showing her the melody and the capturing her voice for the first time and then she can sit with it for a while and get comfortable with it and every once in a while send me a text at two in the morning saying she's obsessed with the new song and it makes me happy and proud. Nice. Now you know. Um Songwriters have really embraced some of the technology today as tools in their toolkit, whether it's their cell phone to capture ideas or they have a home recording studio or they use some of the software that's out there like Master Writer or... Or Auto-Tune. Or or (laughs) Auto-Tune. God forbid. What what are some of the tools that you have found to be indispensable to you as a writer? Well, I'm not, I'm not, I, I, I wouldn't go as far as saying I'm a Luddite, but basically I, I've been for probably 20 years doing it mostly the same where, um, I'll, I'll be at the piano and I'll, 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 I'll record something in a, some kind of handheld device. And, you know, nowadays, of course, that is a phone. And then once I feel like I've really got something where I know where it's going and I'm really getting really close, I'll, I'll go to the basement and get the condenser mics and bring them up and bring, I, I've, I've got a MacBook that I got, I want to say, 15 years ago at least. I don't know how many versions old the software is, but I credit myself for it still working because I've never used it as anything other than a studio. I don't really go online with it. It's not my primary computer, and maybe that's why it's working so immaculately. But this thing is still a champ. It very, it very rarely freezes up or anything. And I've got Pro Tools LE, you know, just a sort of entry level. But it's all I really need since I'm not really making albums on it or or, or having tons of tracks. Mostly I'm doing some piano tracks and then some vocal tracks and maybe a few accoutrements, some, you know, some fake drums and some little other keyboard sounds. But but just, just that's a very good mobile unit I've got where I can just bring up a couple of mics and the preamp from the from the basement and the laptop and I can bring it down to the organ if I need to. I have a old Hammond organ down there and Leslie too and it just it's really portable and it's plenty for me. You know, I mean I think some people get all their tones from the computer. I go over to a friend's house and he's got everything's MIDI and he's got logic and he's got, you know, a, a million sounds just on the computer and 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 the fact that I don't have all my sound, sounds computer generated is probably already pretty old timey because you can get really really convincing great you know amp modeling and 
and Hammond organ and all kinds of analog synths and everything and of, and of course beats and everything you know just like uh, you know you can get them in batches but I, I i tend to still use organic things but but um that mobile home studio suits me just that's plenty for me okay now of course every songwriter has to get to that point where they put the pen down and move the song from writing into production what do you do to determine when a song is ready to give to the band or the producer and 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 kind of allow it to to move to its next phase of life. Um, once I've I, I I won't bring it to the band until first of all I won't bring it to Barrett until I I've, I've worked on it quite a while and had some occasionally just a complete total teardown. But but until I I put it aside and come back and said yep that's good it speaks to me I think it's good and I think she's going to sound great on it and then. She'll put her voice on it, and then I wrestle sometimes with when I bring it to the band to put fake drums on it, to put sort of bass lines on it, because I don't want to poison the waters and, like, you know, deprive Zach and Michael from coming up with ideas, you know, um, naturally, you know. I don't, you know, but but other times I'm so sure that that a certain rhythmic drive I have or I hear a certain bass line as a hook I want to present. So about half the time I'll say, here's here's a version without that without those extras it's just piano and voice and then here's a version with drums and bass and you can listen if you want and take any of those ideas and um but in the last few albums the last three albums now we have worked with producers and for for a long time we were self-produced and after a while i started to just get hungry for um wanting to collaborate and have somebody you know and just to kind of um have the sort of thick skin to have somebody who makes albums I think are great and makes you know great recordings or works with great artists and for them to be able to say um like in this song this song is is cool but I really don't like this section this song needs this other part this part the words are way too clunky you got to really eliminate some syllables those kinds of things that's what's been happening in our last few records and I really prize it a lot and and I think if you work with someone who's who you're convinced does want to work with you and doesn't want just the job of it you know if you think there's somebody that convinces you that they hear something that they really like and would like to work on and predicts artistic success then um, I think that's a great way to go okay now of course going into the studio is an art form in itself and that you're creating the sound that not only identifies you as an artist but that song itself and you know having a song is only half the equation and that's that really just gives you something to say creating that identity happens in the studio what is kind of your process that allows you to capture the sound you're looking for well that is that is uh that is a challenge and you know there's been a number of times in my life with different bands where when the album's done and you listen to it and you you know, put it aside and come back, you'll have that moment of heartbreak where you'll say, that song I love that existed in my head has emerged and been given birth to as a track that I don't think is the destiny of that song. You know, it just occasionally happens where, you know, you've got X amount of days in the studio when people are in certain moods and, and sometimes it all coalesces like you want it to and sometimes it doesn't and it makes you particularly... Um, grateful when when a whole session comes together just great and you have nothing but stuff you're proud of um but i think over time i've i've, I've learned to um you know and also it's first of all i think it's great to go to the studio with more songs than you need because some one of them just not only the producer might not dig as much or or you but but you might just somehow not be able to nail that one down that time maybe it's not the time for that song or maybe that song is just not destined to be on a 
to to live as a track or in your hands. But uh, I do think that's one really good key is, is to, if you want a, you know, a 32-minute album, which I think is a great length of album. I, I just played on someone's album that was uh, way over an hour. I think it's way too much, um, personally, unless you're just declaring it as a double album opus, you know. Um, but but um, I think it's great if you have like 33 minutes you, you, you want to put out to go in and have 52 minutes worth of stuff and sift through it and just see what seems to what seems to catch during your limited time together in that studio okay now um of course um you know you you have to uh get it out there and you're working with patty devries from devious planet tell me a little bit about how that relationship began with patty yeah um she uh works a lot with 40 below records who's our our label now for our second straight album um and um actually our manager guy Eckstein and i had had a conversation with her um previously before this album and really really liked her a lot and once we got this album together during these you know strange times of uh, the COVID era and then once we realized we had enough and we and when it was time to put out an album um we wanted to speak with her again and we just have a great speaking relationship and instantly find we have a lot of the same um, you know, outlets and contacts and people in mind to, that we want to hear the record. And uh, she's just great to work with. Again, another uh, another New Yorker there, so maybe that's uh, why some of the simpatico. Yeah. Um, I recognize the uh, the Brooklyn vibe. Yeah, yeah, so. you can't go wrong <laughs> with that Brooklyn vibe, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yep. Now, so, yeah, so so we just started, uh, you know, we're just kind of, the album doesn't come out till October, so we're just kind of digging into it, but it's been fun just back and forth with her throwing ideas around okay now um let's talk a little bit about what's happening in the industry um and of course the elephant in the room here is streaming is the new way that the consumers have embraced to consume music uh the problem with streaming right now is that the consumer no longer looks at recorded music as a product it's not something to purchase anymore. It's now a service. They expect it on their phone. They expect to be able to listen to any artist that they hear about, you know, without having to buy the CD or buy the music, just be able to listen and add them to their playlist. How has this shift in, in perception by the consumer affected you as an artist? Well, I think it's, you know, for sanity and happiness, um, almost everybody involved in this has to um, has to sort of lower your expectations of art and um, income where those meet uh, of of paying your mortgage through purely playing shows and playing um, playing shows and selling merchandise i mean it 's just I remember thinking it was sort of bleak you know when Napster was the new thing. Um, that when I was to first started really going out and touring in the very early 2000s, I mean, I toured before that, but really with my own bands, I mean, um, I thought that merch sales back then were, were grim, you know, and now those were like the glory days. So, uh, because then, you know, you had some things to compete with, but it wasn't really like, it wasn't, I mean, people could rip it off online, just, you know, analogously to how we would dub cassettes, you know, but now obviously, as you say, with streaming, there's just, especially with young people, and older people, a lot of people just want to pay their $10 and they don't really 
care that much that it goes to a tycoon instead of to artists. You know, um, this, as you say, they want to be able to jog or take the train or whatever and listen to absolutely anything. I mean, it's kind of, it's kind of insane. <laughs> you know, 30 years ago, if someone had told you that um, you could summon any episode of any TV show ever made on the spot, <laughs> you'd be like, what? <laughs> you know, that, no, there's supposed to be four things on TV and they're all crap, so we go out at night. You know, that, right, right. So that, 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 that's hard to... That's hard to digest, and, uh, and, 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 but, but, you know, everyone in the Claudettes, for example, has some other income, um, some other side job, and has to be sort of flexible and creative with that. And if, if, if you know, we want to go out and make some money, but if, if, you're, if you're feeling like going out and playing music is going to be 100% of what you need for your expenses and your, and your lodging and your eating, and that's just a really hard way to go, and it, it leads to people becoming road dogs who then just get burnt out. And no one in this band is in a road dog stage right now. We, we did play quite a lot this summer because we got a lot of good what you call anchor gigs, like a really good, you know, well-paying gig, an offer from a concert series and as far away as Denver and Arkansas and, and, and New England and West Virginia. So we had to route there, so we just played a bunch of shows, and that was really fun. But no one, no one in the band wants to just say, okay, we need this amount of dollars, we'll have to play this amount of gigs, and so you'll do the math. And like, that's just, I don't know, I don't think that's, that, that's not many people can endure that uh, happily and productively, and I don't think anyone in this band really, really does. Yeah, I, you know, getting out on the road is, is, it's a tough life, no matter how you slice that, you know? Well, especially since gas for my, my my van my van took $75 to fill before and then when we went out to Denver last month it was 125 that's a pretty big jump yeah um, uh, that and and then you look up Airbnbs cuz hotels are too expensive and those have jumped a lot and it's like you just start you know pulling off your hat and scratching your head and slapping your hat back <laughs> how am i going to how am i going to how am i going to do this um, with me I'm you know, to be honest, I'm a freelance writer, and I can sit in the passenger seat and make some money, and I can no longer just subdivide the money that we make up among the bandmates because it's not enough. I have to just pay them well and figure out myself how to make enough money to make it feasible. And it's called, you know, uh, many blues artists have called it paying the cost to be the boss. You know, if you're going to have good people around you, you have to pay them. You have to figure out expenses and lodging and mm-hmm. and some meals and 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 you can't micro economize everything. I mean, in my younger days, I would do exactly that. I would just divide what we were making by how many musicians there were and divvy it up. And that that's just that's out. Oh, yeah. <laughs> There's not enough. Because I mean, no adults, self-respecting adults who are really talented, are going to go out for sixty-five dollars a night, which is maybe what it would be if you took out the expenses. You know. Right. Yeah. Well, you know, if you really look at it, I mean, you know, with streaming and and so forth, I mean, this whole business model is not sustainable. No, um, you know, it it's it's hurting the music industry's middle class. It's hurting the recording industry. We really can't keep this up. We have to do something, and there is some technology coming down the pike that that really promises to change things i'm not too sure how this is going to flesh out because you know the record companies are going to fight it tooth and nail but there is this move towards decentralizing the music industry uh and one of the first things that i see happening is these streaming services that are being developed on the blockchain which is this technology that made cryptocurrency a reality and it's a decentralized kind of 
uh, economy where it's more of a direct connection between the artist and the fans as opposed to a corporation running the service for the fans and taking advantage of the artists. So, you know, they're claiming that they can pay up to 80 or 90% of the incoming revenue back to the content creators themselves. What do you think of that as a possible future for the industry? Well, I have the same feeling about that as I did when everybody uh, shut down for COVID and started doing live streaming and, and, tell, and people telling me and doing podcasts about, oh, um, you know, we can't tour right now, so what we did instead is we did a live show, and we got a bunch of good cameras and audio equipment, and, um, and we had 3,000 uh, viewers, because uh, everyone from all around the world can watch, and we sold them for $30 a ticket. We made a bundle, and we didn't even have to, uh, have to endure touring expenses. Well, that's great if you've got 3,000 people that are going to buy it, but the thing is the majority of, of artists are, maybe you call them on the rise, and they're trying to build their fan base, and they might have, you know, I mean, with so much competition that there is, and also I have the theory that people work on their computer all day, and, and a lot of people, including I, don't particularly savor the idea of working on my computer all that day, and then, and then for recreation I go to the same computer and look on the same screen, type in the same keys. It's a drag. You know, that's why it was always so good to shut it and go out, you know. Um, but I think that what you're talking about, maybe that, that's good if somebody already has a big fan base, but what about those who are, who are rising and who, who don't yet have big numbers? And um, 80 to 90% of not very much is not very much, you know. So I, I think I, I think that 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 could work well for established artists. I remember years ago somebody saying maybe it was um, I can't remember who was uh, Tom Rush or someone who was like a kind of a folky who uh, was very successful. He hadn't he hadn't been on a on a label in many years. He made his own CDs and he traveled around by himself and played shows and it's probably like fifty dollars a ticket playing smallish places. But that's sustainable because he's. He is somebody that is a legacy artist that has that kind of following. And if you know that in every town you go to, if you pick the right towns and time, that you, you can sell 200 tickets at 50 bucks a piece, and, and people will also come up and buy your self-printed CDs, that, that's good. But if you're kind of someone that somebody might cruelly call nobody, that's not going to work. <laughs> you know, so it still remains how do you how do you rise and and you know we think about legacy artists like rock like Aerosmith and how 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 many bands in any genre now or or solo artists are going to have a shot at a decades long career. You know that's kind of daunting to think about that. You think it's like that used to be rare and now it's like ultra mega double triple rare. You know yeah it seems like every everything is sort of eaten chewed up and spit out. I think even. Even festivals now, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I think there are festivals that you can look at their um, program and you say, whoever's curating this, merely they have a genre in mind or a, or a, a, a wider array of genres that can maybe be grouped some, in some way, but they have a kind of a concept of the music for this, whether it's electronic dance music or whether it's jam bands or any of a hundred roots music, whatever, Americana. And then the curators go to Spotify and they find out the 30 top streaming artists and they book them. Hmm. I, I wouldn't be surprised if that's pretty much how it's done. And I've had a little bit of experience with this with a, an Ann Arbor lunchtime series that's, re, that's really cool and they have really good bands there. And the guy's response to me was, the band's great, it's a perfect fit, I agree, but I've got to be honest, your Spotify numbers aren't that good. 
Okay. <laughs> really? I'm like, I'm like, you should be embarrassed saying that out loud. You should say that like in your own meeting. Don't say that to me. <laughs> well, you know, and, and it, you know, one of the things I found interesting is that a lot of artists have really gravitated and embraced this whole world of content creation and social media marketing, you know, mm -hmm. almost to the point where they're creating like their own reality shows where they're, yeah. they're giving the fans kind of this behind the scenes kind of thing. And that's really, I, I think what a lot of artists are doing in order to create their fan base, create, you know, excitement about going to see them live, you know, yeah, because now true. it's not just, going to see the band you're going to see this personality that you have you know invested in uh in person you know what i mean so it, yeah. it's, it's almost a different mentality set uh on how to get fans uh is there anything that you're doing as far as social media or content to kind of promote the cd uh, to you know to that market yeah, I mean, everyone on the Claudette's team, so to speak, management, label, PR, and everything would, would answer that by saying, um, no, they're not doing nearly enough. They need to do a lot more. <laughs> we, have, we have a song called Exposure on our, um, uh, on our forthcoming album. We did a video, a video for it. I think it's really great. And it, 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 it circles around the word exposure two ways, one of which is the never-ending um, suggestions of how to get hip to the new um, whether it's reels or stories on, on Instagram and TikTok, and there's just like every six months is a new thing you're supposed to be doing that a visual that pops up this way, and it should be this many seconds and formatted that way, and it should have this kind of content and this kind of messaging, and and just you know, unfortunately, zero people out of the four Claudettes are interested in that kind of thing. We really write songs we think are, are deep or or funny or what or whatever the emotion is, but we we care a lot about the songs we manicure them we get together we have a great time we make what we think is a great record we want to go out and play shows and and we should be doing all that and you know one thing that we did do was uh, some of our live shows have been filmed recently and we kind of got managed to get the audio and video and 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 cut it up and put out kind of a series of live live clips but as far as us like capering around in front of the camera it's just none none of the four of us have the personality that really wants to do that so it's it is a disadvantage you know i mean i'm just being honest i should say oh yes oh yes of course we're we're planning a new series you know but but the truth is it's it's not really up the alley of any of us in, in the group and that, that that some people are really thriving with that right now and 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 then you kind of try to find their music, and they almost have no music. You know, they have very little like actual music, and that's just that you're right. You can't. You don't have time to do everything. And and some people would argue the most important thing to do is what you're talking about. And um, I don't know that the 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 times that you're living in are are important, but for them to be the lead, you know, it's just something that's kind of unpalatable for me. Okay. Well, you interested know, in more eternal things. Yeah, I definitely agree. Um, well, you know, I really appreciate you coming on the show. It's always a pleasure to have you on. And uh, we're going to give everyone out there a double shot from the Claudettes. You guys are going to love this. You may just want to turn it up loud and say, you know what? Screw the neighbors. We're going to have some fun.
Whether you're an independent artist or a fan that loves them, makingascene.org is the place for you. For the music fan, we bring you in-depth interviews and CD reviews from artists who are on the cutting edge of original music. For the independent artist, we bring you articles on music business, recording techniques, gear reviews, and interviews with industry professionals that give you real-world information to help you negotiate the new realities in the music industry 
and give you the tools you need to move your career to the next level. We bring you new content every day. Makingascene.org is the number one resource for the independent artists and the fans that love them. Head on over and become part of the Indie Revolution. Shout now, honey. I'm gonna move. 